listening to Connection Church's podcast. Good evening, Connection Church. Oh, I thought y'all were still napping. Man. Well, welcome to our new TV show. You get to see it for the third time. We didn't do so well in the first two services, so we're going to give it another shot. Um, we're really excited about tonight. The uh, last in a few weeks, we, we started our series on Happily Never After, and last week, we talked about manhood, and men got their man cards, and we have woman cards tonight that have quite the same ring to it, um, but as we were talking about this, this service and how to do this, um, I, I drew the short straw, long straw, however you want to look at it, to preach about womanhood feel slightly inadequate um, because I'm not one. And I didn't want to get up here and act like a woman. <laughs> so that was really the, the gist of it. So what we did decide was this would sound a lot better coming from women. And looking at the text that we've looked at in Genesis chapter 2 and 3 of God's creation of man and woman and then, of course, the fall in, chap- in chapter 3 of Genesis And that's what we're going to do tonight. Um, We had a a panel of ladies over the past couple of months meeting together and praying together about what what are the lies that Satan tells women, you know, constantly throughout life. What What are those things that, if we could summarize it, because, you know, we have to have three or four things to talk about at Connection Church because we're simple, simple minded. We need some points to hang some things on. So that's where we, we started and it's kind of fleshed itself out. And I've asked these ladies to come and, and share with you tonight. And um, I'm going to kind of be a fly in the chair and, and just keep things going. I don't really have to say a whole lot when they start talking. So it's really, 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 really good. Um, so if you will turn with me to Genesis chapter uh, 3, Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to read Genesis chapter 3 verses 1 through 13. Um, but if we, if we just glance back at chapter 2, you know, God creates man and all the animals and all the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. And then he comes to the point of Adam really not having a suitable mate. And he creates woman. And they are having this wonderful relationship in the garden. Everything is hunky-dory until we get to chapter 3. So look with me to chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God really say, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman 
you put here with me. She gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. That a way to take responsibility, Adam. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The serpent deceived me and I ate. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the day that we have already experienced. We thank you, God, for um, the three who went from death to life in our first two services this morning. We celebrate that, God, that you can speak in so many ways when we just get out of your way and let you work and let your spirit abound. We thank you for that, God. We thank you for the obedience of these ladies and pray that as we have this discussion, as, as they lead this congregation, Lord, that you will be glorified and that lives will be changed. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. So at the beginning of this, Satan makes the, or has the question is, did God really say? And how many times in our lives do we hear that question from friends, um, some friends who we may call Satan? (laughs) Did God really say? Does it really have to be that way? Can't we just bend it a little bit? Did God really say we shouldn't be together? Did God really say we shouldn't sleep together? That constantly happens on a daily basis for all of us as human beings. Um, so this, this leads into that, uh, the serpent being deceitful and, and talking about these lies. And I'm going to share those with you. But first, I'm going to have these ladies introduce themselves to you so you'll have a little idea of who's talking to you tonight. So who wants to start this time? Got to change it up again now. I guess it's my turn. I would say after two services, I can successfully hold the microphone without it doing this. Um, I don't do well with microphones. But um, my name is Cynthia Lee, and I am a licensed professional counselor. And I got to do it all three sessions. Yeah, I'm Joey's boss. Um, I'm just kidding. (laughs) No, I'm Joey's partner. Uh, We are in practice together at at Fresh Start Counseling, a faith-based therapist. Um, Yeah, I'm faith-based. Thank you, practice. Um, I am married to Scott Lee. I have two children, 12 and um, 8 years old, Megan and Jake, and we are from Sylvania, born and raised there, uh, work in Statesboro, uh, but I'm proud to call Sylvania home. Anybody else? Yes, yes. Don't discredit me in the beginning. Yes. All right. Um, I'm Andrea Russett. They call me Andy. Uh, I have, I'm married and have three sons and five grandkids, and most of you probably never, ever will see me up here again, but uh, you'll know my husband and my son because they're on the worship team. Uh, Luke's the one that dances around all the time, so everybody knows him. <laughs> uh, He's the thin guitarist. We live in Richmond, yeah, we live in Richmond Hill, and uh, have been coming to the church since there were about 50 people, so. Great. I'm Roxanne Deal. I'm married to Steve Deal. Uh, we've been married about 33 years. We have three grown children. Uh, Shannon Henson is our oldest by Steve's first marriage. She is here with us tonight and teaches math to maybe some of your students at the high school. Married to Corey, and they have two um, daughters, Taylor, who is 12, and Ansley, who is 7. And then Heather, daughter number two, is married to Jonathan Taylor. She uh, teaches kindergarten at Sally, has two uh, little boys. So I have two grandsons, Jackson 
and Sawyer, and then Zachary is 26, our bachelor, and um, is recently returned from Africa where he is feeling the calling to go into long-term missions. So we are walking with him through that journey. And um, I work at Merrill Lynch, been there about 21 years, been in the financial industry about 37 years. Okay. So ladies, we've um, discussed this in depth a couple of different times, but we basically came up with, with four areas that Satan lies to women. And those four areas are irrelevance, inferiority, uh, feeling those things, um, values and roles, th- those types of things, but just feeling irrelevant at times and inferior to those around us. Um, self-image, you know, hot topic comes up for a lot of women. Uh, the condemnation that comes with that. Um, the comparison game. You know, we, some people call those mommy wars. Am I as good a mommy as someone else? As good a wife, um, worker, you know, employee, business owner, whatever it may be, but constantly comparing ourselves. Um, and then the fourth and final one is, is looking for fulfillment um, imperfection, you know, trying to be perfect, which kind of crosses in with the comparison at times too. So my question to you is, taking those things into, uh, into our minds, our thoughts, as you process those, how have they impacted your lives? We're trying to share who goes first, I think. <laughs> it's my turn again. <laughs> well, you know, as we begin to look at these areas, um, I identify with so many of those. Uh, Probably the only person in the audience who was the fat kid growing up, who was the fat kid that was ugly or or felt like they were ugly and felt like they were made fun of and and could not see any beauty in themselves as they grew up, Um, no matter how much, you know, their parents might have told them or or other people might have told them. It just, you know, the fat, ugly kid. That was me. Um, and, And Satan loved, you know, back then I didn't realize it, but Satan loved for me to believe that. He did pretty well, uh, pretty tattooed in my brain for a long time. Um, it's still in there a little bit. Um, so that definitely impacted my life uh, significantly all the way through, just never feeling like I was going to be attractive enough or good enough because it just permeated throughout my whole brain. Um, so I, I worked really hard, and, but I always had that, in, that voice in the back of my head now knowing it was Satan. Um, in my adult life, just saying you're never good enough, you're never going to be good enough, you're never pretty enough, you're never going to make it. Um, so that definitely impacted me a lot. A lot of, uh, so what did I do is then I strive for perfection because in my mind, if, any, if I made any error in any way, shape, or form, or if there was anyone who didn't like me, then I must be a failure. There was no gray for me in my life for a, lo- a long time. And I teach everyone in, in therapy and, and what I do in my job that every, almost everything is gray. Well, that's for y'all. <laughs> I don't really apply that to myself as much, um, but I'm growing in that area. So those were probably two of the biggest ways that Satan um, used these things to, to influence me, um, just needing acceptance um, and never feeling like I was quite, you know, sometimes I'd get to the edge of it but just never feeling like um, I was accepted. 
for who I was. And so therefore my voice got smaller and smaller and smaller. Sometimes it got louder, but then I would receive some issues for that. And so um, I was bullied really bad when I was in uh, middle school. Um, and unfortunately, um, there were some high school years where I kind of turned into the bully. So, um, you know, Satan loves that. And, and not knowing at a young age, even though I went to church and had all that, I never knew that uh, that was Satan's voice. But it was loud. I'd say mine was probably feeling like you weren't smart enough. Um, I grew up in a household where my father suffers from depression and just a very dark and lonely childhood because if any of you live with depression or you have family members who are depressed, um, you just feel invisible. A very kind man, a very loving, tender man, but I was just invisible. He was always in a dark place. And through the 60s, that wasn't talked about. Um, that was taboo. You could have cancer, you could have a broken leg or something else to be dealing with, but you don't talk about depression. So I grew up just kind of pushed over here to the side while my parents dealt with his illness through the years. And um, just not a lot of encouragement toward what your goals would be that most of us want, especially... Um, a girl coming up in the 70s, it was the women's lib movement, it was all about sex, it was, you know, let it all hang out literally, and that's the environment that we were in. Um, going into the workforce, I did not have the opportunity to go to college, so I went to work for a brokerage firm, got my securities license, have worked at a bank, and um, been in the financial industry, I've been with Merrill Lynch now 21 years, but... I've always had that darkness that I was uneducated. Um, in the financial world, depending on where I was at with conferences or wherever I would be traveling throughout the country, first thing that usually somebody's going to ask you is, oh, where'd you go to school? Effingham County High School, class of 1978, mighty, mighty rebel. <laughs> so, oh, okay, let's go to the next person. So you're just... <laughs> You know, they just kind of bypassed you. So I've just kind of had that shame that was nothing but a lie of Satan that I wasn't the best I could be because I didn't have a degree hanging on the wall. Um, so that just kind of pushed me into other areas of where I would overexceed and do things um, that we'll talk about a little bit later. Okay. And my story is totally different. I... Uh... I think I was born timid, and I was born into a family where my sister caused a lot of turmoil. She's my older sister, and she had a lot of issues. Um, and so I was the one who tried to just be nice and not make waves and not do anything to upset my parents. Uh, and so I became very, I don't know, I think fearful and not really living life uh, like I should have. And um, I think my personality is such that I'm, I'm fairly passive. Uh, and I was more of a people pleaser. And that, you know, when you learn that when you're young, it's really hard to shake that when you're older. Yeah. And, uh, and so that's a battle, you know, that uh, only the Lord has helped me with. So, um, I don't know, being fearful, I just, uh, I never was able to share my heart. And uh, that lasted, you know, just until uh, my husband and I were married where, where I felt safe enough to share my heart with him. Um, 
and I think that's, and that's what Satan kept me thinking the whole time is that uh, I just, I wasn't valuable. I wasn't accomplishing anything because I wouldn't try anything that I thought I would fail at. So I just didn't do anything. I was just uh, I don't know, in bondage, I guess, is what you would say. That, uh, uh, you know, just the freedom in Christ is the only thing that broke that. Yeah. Okay. Well, under, it sounds like to me each of you have a, an understanding of the lies that Satan has taught, well, told you through the years. And I think with that comes, um, it leads to the decisions we make, and then I think the decisions we make sometimes grow into passions because of where you are now. So talk to us a little bit about understanding Satan's lies. Um, what are you passionate about? What, what makes you passionate today? For me, um, going back to just my upbringing and the absence of what I felt I needed, that nurturing, at a very young age, went looking for love in all the wrong places and was sexually active at a very young age and became pregnant at 17 and had an abortion. And that shame and that darkness of looking for love because I wasn't feeling it in the home, I didn't see evidence of it in the home, it was just a very lonely and dark place. So I just felt so driven that by the time I moved out and got married and started my own family, that I would do everything to nurture my children that family environment, what I hungered for growing up, um, ended up paralyzing me as an adult because I poured everything into my children. And, um, you know, looking at the sacrifices that I would try to make for, for them instead of putting Jesus first, I realigned all of a lot of my dysfunction and poured it into them. And even to when we're together 24-7, we all live here, we're like the Waltons now, we're very, very close. To when I'm cooking Sunday dinners, I'll eat the piece of the chicken that goes over the fence last so they can have the white meat. So <laughs> just, I'm putting them ahead of everything and all of my decisions um, for everything. I have a couple of passions, and, and one comes from a blessing that, that God gave me. Um, I did the math in, in the 9 o'clock service 17 years ago, um, and that, that is one of my passions. And one comes from my journey. I'll start off with uh, the passion from the blessing. Um, for some reason, God brought an amazing man into my life uh, when I was just in high school. Um, he's, I'm now married to him, and and we have a family together. And so um, I, did, I was able to watch my parents and how they interacted. And they had very much of an of a egalitarian relationship. And um, I watched how they divided roles of the house. And, and I felt like I was raised as much by my father as I was of my mother. 
And I took that. God gave me a husband who was equipped that way as well. And so one of the things that I'm very, very passionate about is making sure that women, or actually both partners, but especially women, realize how important you are, how God tells us that the marriage is supposed to be. Yes, I, tr- I struggled in the 11 o'clock to get these words out. I'm going to try again. We are supposed to be submissive. We are to, God does call us to be submissive to our husbands. And I'm totally kidding. Um, I can get that word out. Um, it doesn't flow as easy as the next part, but I can get it out. We are called to be submissive. I'm, very, I'm a very type A personality. I'm married to a very passive man, but he's a wonderful man. Um, but I want women to, to realize that we want to be submissive to our husbands, and that's true in my marriage. I want to be submissive to him because he loves me as Christ loved the church, because how he treats me, my, his world revolves around me. I feel guilty. This is a caution to some of you ladies that can identify with what I'm saying. Don't take your, if you have a husband like mine, don't take him for granted. See his needs. It's very easy. He makes it very easy for me not to, to see his needs. He makes it very easy for me to just get on my one track mind on my journey and, and, and he's not going to speak up. But that doesn't mean that I don't have an obligation to him as a, as a, Christian wife to make sure that his needs are met. But I'm very passionate about women realizing that you have a voice. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter what your history is. It doesn't matter if you've been traumatized, not been traumatized, if you had terrible um, role models. That doesn't matter because it tells you in Scripture what it is supposed to be like. And all of those things, trauma, I'm a therapist, so they can influence you a lot but it tells you in Scripture how to do it. And if you will do it, I've not worked with a couple in therapy or been around a couple in therapy, that if you will make Christ part of your marriage, if you, if you focus on you being a Christ-centered wife and your husband is a Christ-centered husband, you'll make it, hmm. and it'll be good. So I'm very passionate about women realizing it doesn't matter what your past is. It's forgiven. Your worth is in Christ. You must see yourself the way Christ sees you. And that leads me to my other passion. All those years, past tense, kind of, that I thought that I was nothing, um, that I still struggle with that sometimes. I can lose my surface-based confidence sometimes really easily. It is so important to, to get in a relationship with Christ so that you do not begin to try to see yourself the way the world thinks that you should be as a woman or as a girl. Um, I'm never going to look like the magazines. I'm never going to be the kind of mother that, that she is or she is or that you are. I'm my kind of mother. And I have to realize that that's okay as long as I'm doing what God wants me to do and it's pleasing to Him. And we have value. Men... I think men suffer from insecurity as well, but it's from a different source. Honor your wives. We're good most of the time. Honor your wives as Christ loved the church, and you will be shocked at what she's willing to do for you. Take her for granted with a type A personality. It's probably not going to work so well for you. (laughs) And if you don't have that personality, come see me. We'll work on it. I'm just kidding. (laughs) So those are two things that I'm very, very passionate about. Know your worth 
because it came from God. You are okay because God made you and he doesn't make mistakes. And also know that you are in a marriage or in a relationship. You're very equally yoked. But that does not absolve you of your responsibility to, to be a Christian wife, as sometimes I, I still neglect. And watch what you say to your children. Because I was that child. I was that child that was picked on, who was made fun of, who that those voices were so loud. It didn't matter what my parents said to me. It didn't matter if they said how good I was. The voices of society, even back then, still resonate in my mind. So watch what you say, especially to a female. It can be, it can be tattooed in her head. Those are my two probably biggest passions. Okay. And what I would like to say is just for everyone to realize that we're all broken that we all come from dysfunctional families, we're, we're in dysfunctional families, and our children will be in dysfunctional families, and that brokenness is what brings us to Christ. If we were perfect and we didn't need Him, uh, you know, we, if, we, if we didn't need Him, we would never come to Him. And so, because of our sin and our sin nature, that's what brokenness brings us to, is, is to a life in Christ. And He... You know, I lived a, a life of fear and of not being able to share, but he set me free from that. And whatever you're dealing with, the Lord is the answer. His word is the answer. Uh, being with other people who can, who can pray the word over you and live the word out with you is the answer. The verse that I, that I look to for that is Hebrews 9:14. How much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And that's what I come from is dead works. And I pray that I just keep serving the living God. Okay. So I'm going to change gears on you a little bit. Okay. Um, in society today, there's an industry that has really not just exploded, but in the last decade, it is, has, there's been a transformation with, tech, with technological advances, um, access, those types of things, and that's the pornography industry. And studies are showing now that we're seeing just as many women who are addicted to pornography as men, um, that those, those, those lines are very, very similar, sadly. And I want each of you to talk about... Um, the area of, of lust, pornography, the, the types of things that women face that I see so differently from men, but you know, stem from the same insecurities. So talk about that with me. I'll start with, uh, I remember back when I was young, uh, the Harlequin romances came out and they were everywhere. And uh, all ages of women were buying those and, and, and they were a romance novel and they started out seemingly fairly harmless, but as time went on, they got more risque and more, you know, uh, pornographic, I guess is the word that I would use. And uh, it kind of sucked you in from the beginning of being harmless, and then all of a sudden you're doing things and reading things that you never thought you would be reading. And, uh, you know, back in the 60s or whatever, nobody thought anything about it. I mean, all the studies hadn't been done, the internet wasn't out, but it was it was preparing the way for a breakdown of the family. And I, I really feel like 
it contributed to unrealistic expectations that women had of men and relationships and romance and, and what that looked like, um, just that would never be realistic. When I speak on this, um, I, I don't refer as much to, um, to pornography, though it is included in this, as much as I do um, promiscuity. Um, what I see in, in women, and as we, be, we continue to measure our worth according to societal standards, I see it as a lot of women are promiscuous um, because we want... Um, immediate gratification. That's what it is, that a lot of times we don't see that we have any worth beyond what our body can produce. Um, and we know that, that, that men want that. Um, and, you know, God tells us the way that we're supposed to do it. And if you look, I think, I hope God doesn't get mad at me for saying this, but there's, a, there's kind of a direct correlation between, you know, lustful behaviors and our relationship with God Lustful behaviors are immediate gratification, whereas if you save yourself and, you, and you, you resist that temptation and realize that there's so much more to you than what you can give to a man who, if that's all he wants, is not the right man. If you look at our journey with God, it is about delayed gratification. I don't know very many Christians who would say, oh my gosh, this is like the easiest way to go ever. You know, I think our relationship with God um, is about, we have some immediate gratification, but it's, all, it's a lot about delayed gratification as well. So I think that it's about women just feeling, everybody wants to love and be loved. And if you say that you don't want to love and be loved, I don't think you're being honest with yourself. And to lower your standard to such a low spot that you're willing to give your body up for that, 30 minutes of, uh, you know, enjoyment, if that's what you will call it, but the shame and the rejection and the loneliness that comes after those encounters um, are almost insurmountable, and what you don't realize is that it gets into your psyche, and it, you begin to believe that that's all you're worth, and so then you will begin to choose a partner who that is what they value in you, and that is completely opposite of the way the word says to do it. So I, I think that that's how lustful behaviors in, in our society, you know, we're lo everybody's looking for the, the movie, the romance novel. Not really happening in that way these days. <laughs> I know a lot of just my personal experience. I'll go back to my childhood and I'm just looking for love in all the wrong places at a very young age. I think first and foremost, every woman out here, whether you're a teenager, you're a grandmother, whoever you are, you acknowledge you're a daughter of the king, first and foremost. Whether you've looked for love in wrong places, whether you're looking now or you're anticipating it. And for the guys, hear me out and know my heart for how I wanna verbalize this. Every woman that you've attempted to have sex with or are having sex with and you're not married is somebody's daughter, is somebody's sister, is somebody's niece, is somebody's cousin. And you may be all happy 
and cohabitating and doing whatever you want to do right now, but I'm 55 years old, and I still carry the shame of how I was in 16 and 17. The guy that I was dating at the time, he was in college, I was in high school, I was a cheerleader, I was very popular. We decided to have an abortion. Ended up getting married when I was 22. He was 25. We're married for a minute and got divorced. Two very destructive young people looking for love in all the wrong places. He was the son of an alcoholic. He was an alcoholic himself. I just wanted to be loved. I just wanted somebody to pay attention. When you just look at me. So when you get to the, the phrase of what are you lusting for, daddies, where are you in your daughter's life? If you're a single mom and you're raising a daughter, are you having the conversation that you need to be having to let her know she's a daughter of the king? That's why it's crippled me and paralyzed me, pouring myself into my family because they were going to know they were loved to where it has exhausted me and crippled me into pouring everything into them to where I was losing my own identity with Christ. When Zachary decided to answer God's call and possibly go long-term into the mission field, God and I have been doing a tug-of-war since June. Like, you can't have him. And he is telling me repeatedly, he is created for my pleasure, not yours. And I don't know what he'll decide long-term to do. But this is one mama who's going to walk with him and pray over him and encourage him to succeed in that role if that's what he decides to do, or should he stay here, whatever he decides to do. But he's going to hear from me my heart for what I want for him, the goodness I want for him. I have two granddaughters. My granddaughter, who's 12, is in sixth grade, and it breaks my heart watching what she's exposed to. I am not on Facebook, refuse to be on it. That's not, I'm a tomboy at heart. I'm not a good girlfriend. I don't go off on trips and go to Hilton Head and party with my girls or whatever. I'm so happy just being with my family and my grandchildren and cooking with them and us living on the farm and, and being with the cows. And, and we all need guidance. And Steve and I raise Black Angus cows. And the biggest fights we'll have are when we're moving those cows from one pasture to the other. Because they're not the smartest animals if you've ever been around them that much. We have a cow pride that we're using. And he is screaming, honey, you know, do you, do you pride this way, this way, flip, you know, do whatever. And I'm, I'm listening to him give me commands of what I need to be doing to make the cows be obedient. And just over the weekend when we were doing it, it just hit me, God's like that. He's got that cattle pride. And he's given us all directions of what to do, how to be obedient. And he prods me in the way he wants me to go. And I just refuse to listen sometimes. But I want to ask you, are you a daughter of the king? 
Have you forgiven your husband? If there's any infidelity that's happened in your house, your daddy, whoever, did you forgive them? It'll eat you up. It'll rot you. Forgive them and love them. Because at the end of the day, that's all everybody wants. That's all I wanted as a teenager is love. That's all I want now. God's going to give it to me. And everybody has to have that identity in Christ. One final word, I just feel like God's telling me to, to say this, is for those of you out there who are in the process of trying to, to make your relationships, decide, is this the person that I want to marry? Is this the person that I want to date? There is this horrible, horrible myth out there that says, wait, I'm broken, you're broken, Let's get together, and we will be healed together. No, that just makes really broken. One of the best things to do is work on yourself as an individual. Get to know Christ. You can't know what Christ wants you to be. You can't know. I didn't learn really about what Christ wanted me to be or who Christ was until I was in my 30s. I mean, I went to church my whole life, but I didn't really know how he saw me in his image. So work on yourselves to realize that you ha you're searching for love. You've got it. You've got it up here. We often look here and we often look here to try to find someone to love us so that we can be lovable. That, no, it, we're all examples of why that doesn't work. So if you're starting these relationships, get yourself healthy. Let your guy get himself healthy. Come together. Support each other through the journey. But don't tie that knot until you're both healthy. Because unhealthy joins unhealthy, makes big unhealthy. <laughs> yeah. So and I would even add to that, if one of, one of those two is not willing to become healthy, you move on. You move on. Um, that's a black and white, you know, it really is. So as we do land this plane, summarizing it, I want you to share, um, looking out at, at these folks, what is one thing you want to leave with them? What's the takeaway that, you, you know, if, if all things aside, this is what you really want them to hear from you? What would that be? Mine is, um, ladies and girls, I want you to respect yourself. When you are in a situation, it's no different than every parent telling their kid, do not drive home drunk. Call me. It's better for you to get your butt chewed out by your mama than to have a DUI and be in the police blotter. When you find yourself in that compromised situation, stop and ask yourself, is daddy pleased with this? If I'm a daughter of the king, is the king happy with where I am right now? And number one, forgive yourself for anything that's happened in your past, guys. Do not live in that pit of regret and hate and desperation. It is not what he wants you. He came to give you joy. And you claim it and you frame it. And you move on. And use that testimony in a powerful way. Joey had no idea 
of what any of us would speak about. We didn't volunteer. He called and asked us to do this. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, once we started sharing our stories, it's just been powerful for us as women. I would never have ever gotten up and told my testimony. Too embarrassed for a client to hear it, too embarrassed for friends to hear it. It's a story that needs to be told over and over boldly. So my advice to you is tell your story and remember you're a daughter of the king. Thank you, Rox. I would say um, just don't be afraid to be, to find out and be who God has called you to be because every person has a purpose. Um, sometimes the fear and um, I guess the fear of rejection, the fear of failure, like I experienced, causes you not to do things. And I, I said before, not making a decision is making a decision. It's letting life happen to you instead of you choosing what the Lord has for you. And everyone does have a job to do and, and to, to just know that you're unique and that you do have uh, something that the Lord wants for you to, to pursue. Mm -hmm. Okay. I think what I would tell uh, the women out there is, I don't know, maybe, maybe learn from some of our mistakes, if that's, if that's even possible. Um, I'm sure I was, you know, just needed to make some of my own. But there are two things that, that I think that Satan uses with me continually on a regular basis. And um, they help me recognize when, when Satan's really working. And uh, it's, it's fear. And I have something that that stands for. I didn't come up with this, but I had someone tell me. Fear can stand for false evidence appearing real. And I take from that that I can, I can conjure up in my mind how all of Satan's lies are true. I can look around and find evidence when y'all would be like, oh my gosh, how did your brain even come up with that? It just does, because that's the way my brain works. Um, so be careful. I lived most of my life in fear. I had a surface level confidence, but beneath that was a lot of fear and anxiety, scrutinizing and, and analyzing situ every situation from every opportunity to make sure that I have it covered so I wouldn't messed up, so I wouldn't be embarrassed, and so I wouldn't make a mistake. The word exhausting is, doesn't even cover what that's like. Don't live that way. When God's on your side, you can do anything. The other is watch out for your ego. The ego, for most of you know what that means, but there's some, somebody told me that also ego can stand for edging God out. And that's exactly what happens. When you begin to work for your own ego, that's what you're doing. You're edging God out and you're sure to fall on your face. So watch out for those two things. Remember that you're to see yourself in His image and that you are wonderfully and beautifully made because God made you, as I try to tell my daughter, and He doesn't make mistakes. Mm -hmm. And whatever you're going through, this too shall pass. And when you think you can't handle another ounce of tragedy or difficulty or rejection or another moment of loneliness. God's got gotcha. you. Because as we sit here and talk about 
the fact that we now have three good marriages, there's a whole other kind of loneliness that sets in when you live with very low self-esteem. A lot of people don't realize that. That's what I would say to you. Roxanne and Cynthia, you both had a couple of verses that you shared earlier. I'd, I'd really like for you to share those and, and where they come from. I know these Andy, are two, you shared yours earlier. So. Okay. Um, these are two verses that just are near and dear to me. First is just a woman, uh, Psalm 139, 23 to 24. And this is just kind of how I keep myself in check. I've got it on my computer at work and just kind of try to make it my life verse. Teach me, O oh God. And know my heart. Search me, O God. Excuse me. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. And as far as the topic of the healthy marriage and and trying to have happily ever after and not happily never after, I love the book of Ruth which, strange enough, is the story of a mother and daughter-in-law. But in chapter 1, verse 16, I've written it to Steve many times in love letters and in cards that I've stuck in his suitcase if he was traveling or anything. Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. And I just claim that and just hold on to that and the purity of our marriage and what we've both come from. And at the end of the day, is what do, I want to be, what do I want to be about? You know, what do I want my legacy to be for my, my daughters, my son, and my grandchildren? And I want them all to know they're children of the King. Thank you. And I never shared before, but I do come from a divorce before Dana and I were married. We've been married 30 years, but I came from a divorce. So um, I know there are a lot of people that have passed that, people don't know about, but God redeems. When you surrender your life to Him, He can make things work out. The verse that that I have used uh, really recently is one that Brandon uh, preached on uh, probably three months ago, and it is Ephesians 3.20, and it says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I'm not a real theologian, but what I take from that is if I'll just give it to God after I've already tried to maneuver it and control it myself and gotten hurt and failed miserably, if I would just give it to him, he can do so much more than I can even wrap my head around. And so when I'm feeling really down or just really insecure, just very much like a failure, that's a verse that I can go to and know that when I'm with him, he can do far more than I ever thought about doing on my own.
I do have one other verse. Um, it's Romans 12, 2. Um, I spent a lot of my life trying to be like other people uh, so I could be cool or whatever they were. Um, but Romans 12, 2 says, Don't change yourselves to be like the people of this world, but let God change you inside with a new way of thinking. Then you will be able to understand and accept that what God wants for you. You'll be able to know what is good and pleasing and what is perfect. If you don't know him, I mean know him, as in have a relationship with him. Brandon said, God works from the inside out. You can't expect the flesh to change if the inside has not, not changed. And that's where it began for me, is when God began to change me on the inside. Actually, when I let him, because he's been wanting to do it my whole life. It was up to me to let him. And that was the biggest step that I took. So I have to know who he is so I know how he sees me so I can try to see myself that way. And when I feel far away from him, I have to know that he can, if I'll just let him, he can do it way better than I ever thought about doing it. So first thing I want to say, ladies, is thank you. Thank you for agreeing to do this. And I know I didn't give you much of a choice when I asked people to do things. It's not really... It's not really a yes or no question. It's kind of like, I'll tell you what time to be here. <laughs> but I sincerely appreciate it. And I had people cutting up with me asking, how are you going to get three women to agree to do this? And so I just let God do it. <laughs> so I don't think you would have just answered me without feeling some inspiration from the Holy Spirit to do this. As, as fearful as each of you were going into this, I, I sincerely thank you for being courageous enough to to do that and allowing God to speak through you. And what I'd like to say um, to you um, tonight is that as you have um, been a part of this this evening and as you've sat here, um, I think there are many of you who maybe really, really do hear and feel the things that these ladies have struggled with. Um, they're real issues. Um, real hurts, real trauma, um, real, real stuff that they've been through. And I think we can all agree with that. But then I think there's a group of, of us here tonight, a group of you here tonight, who don't know the other side of that, have never experienced redemption, have never experienced restoration through the power of the Holy Spirit because you've never had a relationship with Christ. And that's something at, at Connection Church as a family, um, as a, a missional response to what we do here each and every week is to give you that opportunity to come to know Christ. And that's what we want to do now. You, you understand the hurts. You understand the anguish of walking day by day with the hurts, but you've never experienced the redemptive power of Christ and what he can do in your life. And through you as a result of it, as Roxanne's saying, it, name it and frame it, which means name what it is, frame it so it can be used forever. It's there for you, for, for God to use through you. So what I'd like to offer you tonight is that opportunity to do that. As I said this morning, we had uh, three go from death to life. Two dudes on Womanhood Sunday. How about that? <laughs> Two out of three were dudes. So... I want to give you that opportunity. And, and you know, if you've been here for, for more than one week, you know how we do that. We don't close our eyes and, 
and lift our hand halfway up and, and have this meek um, introduction to who Christ is, we want to celebrate it with you. So if you're here tonight and you know that you need to be introduced to Christ for the first time and you need to start that relationship with him, I'm going to ask you to just stand where you are so we can celebrate with you and help you begin that journey tonight. So if you'll just stand right where you are, if you know God is working in your life, he's knocking on that door saying, please, please let me come in. Let me redeem you. Let me save you. Anyone at all? We don't have another service to get ready for, so we can sit here all night if we need to. So with that said, I will assume we are all brothers and sisters in Christ, and that's wonderful. That's, that's, that's a wonderful opportunity that we have to be in the same room together to fellowship and celebrate. So as we close tonight, this is what I'd like for you to do. There are many of you who have listened to this, and I know God has spoken to you. He's spoken to me each and every time we've done this today and has, has shown me something new and I've learned something new. But I know God is speaking to you in some way and challenging you in some way to, to deal with something. And this altar, as you know, is always open at the end of services. We're going to do a little bit different tonight. And I'm going to pray. And as I pray, I want you to come and, and pray, maybe with your spouse, maybe with a friend, maybe by yourself. Um, these ladies are, are um, just hospital enough, generous enough to, to come up and, and do this, but also to make themselves available to you. Um, during this time to pray with you, um, to answer questions that you may have, get some direction if you want to do that. Um, so they're here as well. Our prayer team is going to be up here um, to pray with anyone who needs, needs prayer. But as we do that, one of the things we do at Connection Church is we usually finish the service and we uh, stay in here and we talk loud. So tonight we're going to do it a little bit different. We have a great atrium out there. It's a huge room right outside those doors. What I'm going to ask you to do is when I pray and people begin to come, is if you're not going to come for prayer or come to pray, it's just to go into the atrium before you begin to fellowship. And let's leave this room as a, a place of, of continued worship and prayer um, because there are a lot of things that we need to deal with. Um, many of you are carrying those burdens, and I want you to be able to at least begin that journey um, of some redemption or, or lay some things down here right now, right now so you can leave them here tonight. So let, let's stand together. And I want you to remember, especially ladies, I want you to remember that you are a um, creation. You're God's creation. You're lovable, you're redeemable, and you're forgivable. And those are three very important things that I want you to take with you. Forgivable, lovable, redeemable. And you are a creation of God. He put his hand down and created you with a purpose, on purpose, and for a purpose. And I want you to take that with you tonight. As we do close, remember our Christmas tree outside to grab a tag off of that to, to help those. Just as a reminder as you go, don't forget to get one of those tags to, to get some gifts for kids that we'll bring on the 20th of this month on our service day. So let's bow our heads and you come. God, we thank you. We love you. We know that you are working in so many people's lives right now who, who started here at 9 o'clock this morning and, and throughout today, even phone calls that I've received and meetings that I've had, that you have, have worked in this and you've allowed us to be a part of it. And we thank you for that, God. We thank you for allowing us to be vessels. Even um, many, many people in this room right now who have been in each service and have been a vessel for you as, as uh, prayer teams and, and people in the hallway and 
things that have gone on. And I pray, God, that during this time, as people come to ask for prayer or to lay some things down, that you will speak to them. So we thank you, God, and we love you. In your son's name we pray, amen. Please come as God leads you.